going on, everybody? Welcome back to yet another episode of the Core Consult RX podcast. And we're back at you with another accredited episode. Yes. Cole, what's going on, buddy? Not too much. Just melting outside. Oh, just so I need to move. I'm kind of too tired. hot. I'm kind of tired of it. Yeah. And it's August already, which means only, what, four more months of summer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here at least. Yeah. yeah. So uh, in uh, our long lost friend AJ's absence, my brother's filling in for us tonight. So yes. uh, Bob is going to be in the, I uh, hope, oh, sorry about that, Bob. I didn't, he, put, he switched the camera to show his, uh, his himself and I didn't turn his camera on. So he's just <laughs> black screen. <laughs> he's back there though. You can <laughs> trust me. And uh, so hopefully the, those of you who like the, the video version of, of this will be a little bit more uh, camera angles and stuff. Yeah, just the one shot. And since it's summer, we uh, we got to have our beach bods, right? So we're going to talk about we got to. We're going to talk about obesity today. We are something Cole and I both have been working hard with. <laughs> just uh, hardly just, working. Just me. Cole Cole stays. Uh, his metabolism works just fine. No, <laughs> I do nothing except eat chips. But uh, yeah, so we're going to be talking about our ob- the obesity medications because this has been a hot topic for quite a bit now. Sure has. It's kind of in the news, right? Yeah, and we did talk a little bit about Ozempic face. We did. We did. We, we did. did. Um, so uh, figured this was appropriate to do an accredited episode this way. So not just on Ozempic face, right? That'll be quite the <laughs> quite the hour, quite the soiree. So, anyways, here's the seventy sixth picture <laughs> um, of Ozempic face of whatever that might be. Uh, but um, we're going to do another credit episode of this since I think it's it was like 2021, I think, since we did weight loss drugs last. Oh, really? I yeah, thought it was it, longer. Okay. So, I mean, or maybe it has, but it's been at least a couple of years. So yes. Got a lot to cover. Um, but thanks to our friends at FreeCE.com. This is another credit episode, um, and it's one hour credit for nurses and pharmacists. If you are a FreeCE member and have access to all of their uh, content, then this is included at uh, no additional charge. And so after you get done listening to this hour episode, you can go take the post-activity test on freece.com's website, and uh, it'll be a 10-question multiple-choice test. Past that, you get your hour of continuing education if you're a nurse or a pharmacist. And uh, big thanks to freece.com for partnering with us still. And um, if you are not a member of them, please go check out their, their library of content. They have all kinds of great stuff, not just our podcast, but uh, a lot of much smarter people than we are on there that uh, you can learn from. So check that out. They've been very great to work with. And we'll include the super secret password. Oh yes, in a bit. yes. Thank you, Cole. As so, long as Bobby reminds us. Bobby reminded us that we have a super secret <laughs> password to, to divulge. All right. So, where do you want to get started, man? Um, yeah. So I think that we can talk a little bit about um, maybe the a bit about the benefits of weight loss and why we want to lose weight. I think a lot of it is um, pretty apparent, but it is important to note that it's a very serious, chronic, and progressive disease obesity can be um and we know it's associated with a host of um uh, health risks or at least it increases your risk for other comorbidities like type 2 diabetes hypertension dyslipidemia heart disease but it's associated with a significant increase in mortality if you were looking at it on a graph as bmi increases the um the risk for mortality is going to increase uh, as well so the fact that we have uh, more than lifestyle and diet which uh, and uh, exercise which we'll talk a bit about and that we have these medications is is pretty incredible and i think i don't i don't think we fully sussed out the the i don't know the long term benefit you can have from the significant weight loss some of these can provide yeah, for, I mean, it's like the first thing we start off with with so many of our patients is lifestyle management. Like yeah. Cole said, with the various you know disease states, that's kind of like the first place, and it's it's definitely something that uh, you know even from a blood pressure diabetes standpoint, I mean, can have huge impact. Um, and and so yes, weight loss is a very important part of of the the process. And sometimes we get caught up on the medication side of things and kind of forget. Um, I do. I'll throw this out there real quick. I think we mentioned this during the hypertension episode, but um, weight loss, you know, it, and they defined that as um, basically the way that they showed it in this this one study was uh, for every kilogram of weight reduction, you will bring down one millimeter of mercury in the blood pressure. Interesting. Um, that's kind of what they came up with for those so, for those across the pond it's about 2.2 pounds <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> well, i'm sorry aren't, wait aren't we across the pond? exactly we're, we're yes. on the other side of the pond so that's use, right. using the proper measuring <laughs> I'm system gonna convert, i'm gonna convert for them so they're confused <laughs> yeah in case you want to use a measuring system that nobody else <laughs> uses in the world but uh yeah so it, it can have a big impact i think it's um 
it's interesting to point out too that something it seems like they've realized is that diet, lifestyle, and exercise is good, and you're going to see if you if you participate in that appropriately, and there's studies to back it up, you're going to see benefit in weight loss. It is incredibly hard to maintain that weight loss over time. And they kind of describe a phenomenon where it seems that people have kind of a, a set point is how they reference it or um, uh, kind of a, a baseline for adipose tissue mass. And if you use lifestyle and exercise to decrease that, the body, especially if you don't continue that um uh, significantly, the body's going to want to get back to that set point. And I, I, before I even kind of read into this some, I had heard anecdotally a number of people uh, in my family, patients kind of describe that phenomenon. It's like, I try really hard and I get to this point, And then if I lapse at all, I go straight back to where I was. Um, and it, it seems like that, you know, it's a constant battle for people over time. There are some things that can be done to alter the set point, one of which is bariatric surgery, which will touch on a bit, um, but also extended use of medication can kind of alter that set point where the body's not going to try to, to fight to get back to, it, it appears that there are hormones secreted to try to prompt your body to get back to that, whatever your set point is mm-hmm. of, of adipose tissue mass. Um, so it, it's sad because it almost feels like you're fighting a losing battle if you can't stay consistent with something like literally throughout your entire life. Yeah. And you know, the, there's genetic components to that and, and other things as well. So it's definitely, plus the, just the metabolic issues that can occur from long-term, you know, obesity and, and just that dysregulation of glucose and, you know, lipids and everything else, all kind of, if once that system is out of, out of balance, you know, it can be hard to, to lose weight just because of the imbalance in your metabolic system. Right. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll touch on several different things that will uh, help with that issue and in, in a roundabout way to not just uh, decreasing calories necessarily. But uh, let's, let's talk real quick about some classifications because I think this has changed a little bit. I, I can't remember what year this actually changed. Mm-hmm. I'm sure a simple Google search would tell me. But because um, you, when we were in school, it was the, you know, morbid obesity. Yeah. It was like kind of the classification, which I, I've, usually I, I'm, I'm not someone that would ever think twice about like a turn. I just, I'm, you know, too oblivious to like think that, oh, that could be offensive. Right. But I will say the morbid obesity, I've always had a huge issue, like writing that on someone's chart. <laughs> you know, even when I, when I was like first graduate, so like, I don't want to put morbidly obese, like on someone's chart. That's it's kind of morbid, isn't it? Yeah. It's not, it doesn't look good. Um, so I actually like this new classification quite a bit. Um, cause we, we're all familiar with BMI. Um, uh, normal BMI is considered to be like 18.5 up to 24.9 kilograms per meter squared. And, uh, Overweight um, is considered 25 to 29.9 kilograms per meter squared, and uh, it is it tends to be a little bit lower uh, in first like patients of Asian descent things mm-hmm. like that. But um, historically, that's what it's 25 to 29.9 is considered overweight. Obesity has three different subgroups or subtypes now, if you will. Um, and so 30 to 34.9 kilograms per meter squared is class one. 35 to 39.9 class two, and 40 or greater. You guessed it, class four. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no, class three. And so that when you have someone on this chart and you're you're documenting, you can put obesity class two or whatever, and that tells you which range their BMI is in without having to put some potentially offensive right. thing in their chart. But uh, typically speaking, when you're looking at someone's BMI, that's also it can be a little misleading as well because not all of us have the same composition or at least the same. Uh, Distribution. Fen- phonetic uh, yeah. uh, distribution or, or, you know, not phonetic. What's the word I'm looking for? Phenotypic. Yeah. Um, phonetics, like how you, the sound you pronounce words or how they sound or something, right? But, uh, you know, if you look at someone in the NFL who's got a six pack and they're 250 pounds of solid muscle, their BMI actually might end up being high if they're not super tall. Right. But uh, they're not obese. And right. so BMI is definitely an imperfect measure. No, I think that's important to point out because it is not like... If you call somebody overweight in a social setting, you're saying that they are physically you you they appear overweight, and maybe right. you're making some subjective um, comment about how you view them. Right? Mm-hmm. When it's put in a medical sense, these stratifications have been created based on an evidence-based increased risk of cardiometabolic issues. So there are studies that say if your BMI is 25 to 29, you're at a higher risk of cardiometabolic issues 
than somebody with a BMI of 18 to 25. They're not making a comment on your appearance by saying that you're overweight or by saying that you're obese. That's a subjective social construct. They're just saying that based on what we know, there's a higher likelihood that you're going that you might have poor outcomes as you get into overweight, class one, class two, class three, obesity. Mm-hmm. So you've you've all have probably had had people who went to the the doctor's office and my doctor said I was overweight, even though you're might be at the a weight that you were comfortable with. Um, it's 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 an objective measure of yeah. increased risk based on that chart. Yes. and I do wish that they there. I wish there was a a better a just just as simple but better way of like truly. Right. reporting that versus just this old school method. But right. what are you going to do? Yeah. I don't know how to invent one. So what am I complaining about? <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, so medication is definitely uh, a big part of the, the, the treatment options now for uh, being overweight or, or obesity. And I think that's kind of, I mean, the medications, there's have been medications available, but this yeah. is kind of like a new frontier of there's been medications, medications that actually work on and off the market for, for a long time, yeah. 50, 60 years. And uh, you might remember some of the ones from the 90s and 2000s, like the ephedrines and things that ended up being removed from the market because um, they were dangerous. and fen, Fen-fen or something? Yes, Fen-fen or something like that that increased, you know. Cardiovascular Cardiovascular issues, issues and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, I always use caution. And in general, if it's a supplement over the counter that's not FDA approved, I would that is marketed for weight loss, I would shy away from that. There's many issues with a lot of them, but there. But we have FDA-approved options now that we can at least say are mostly safe, or we at least have calculated the risks of them. Yeah, and at least. And the other thing is, not only are they safe, but they they work. Too. They're effective. I mean, the, the stuff we've had prior to this. You know, not that. I mean, obviously, they they've you, people lost some weight in the clinical studies. Otherwise, they wouldn't have gotten approved. Right. But it was definitely nothing that would. Be considered like it was impressive. the best they had at the time yeah. with a good safety profile. Yeah. And now we got uh, much better drugs that we think still carry probably even better safety profile. Yeah. But, you know, um, we'll get into it. We shall. So that being said, you want to start with Orlistat? Yeah, I knew you were going to. Our favorite? Knew you were gonna Are you going to be able to get through this without? Yes. You, okay. I'm so much more mature than I was you were. six that's, years ago. <laughs> that is, <laughs> that's true. For those of you guys don't, who don't uh, remember episode like 13 or something. Oh, yeah. Um, we had a, a moment of extreme immaturity where we both cracked up laughing because you said something like fat, fatty I think poo. Instead of fatty stool, you said fatty poo. I and think I both- was trying to describe, yeah, I was trying to describe um, like a oily stool or something like that. And I ended up saying fatty poo. Yeah. And it totally derailed everything. It, for like a good, and I could not get my, <laughs> couldn't, couldn't get, get, get back. back on track. You were laughing. <laughs> was, you know what we didn't do though? What we didn't do? Go back and re-record and edit it. We just sure released didn't. it that way. Uh, I thought it was hilarious. I, not only that, I clipped that and yeah. turned it into a TikTok and an Instagram reel I later forgot. on. So yes, um, it was a, and I think I even added a, a, a Winnie the Pooh like dancing <laughs> gif on top of it. And Very I thought, nice. Yeah, I thought that was really, really clever on my part. So the infamous fatty poo was in reference reference to Orlistat, uh, which is a medication that is FDA approved for weight loss by reducing absorption of fat by inhibiting gastric and pancreatic lipases. And part of the side effects of the result of that is you can increase or you can res- uh, end up with oily stools, loose stools, flatulence, fecal urgency or incontinence. Um, and it's very dependent on the fat content of the meal that you eat. It also reduces the absorption of fat-soluble vitamins, which can be troublesome in some instances, like A, D, E, and K. But it's 120 milligrams three times a day um, during or up to an hour after meals. So pretty much every time you eat, you have to remember to, you have to have this with you, and you have to remember to take it. And you might have some unfortunate side effects related to your stools. Um, some unfortunate side effects. Yeah. I'm pretty sure when it, cause it was over the counter as well. Like I think it was like yes. the Al, Al, Ali, 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 Ali pill. Yeah. I don't even, I don't even know if that's still, it's probably still out there maybe, but I remember it would sit on the shelf with a layer, thick layer of dust on yeah, the top, yeah. but it was always there. So it was there. Right. Just beside looking the at insulin pin needles and things like that. And the Sudafed, you know, sitting yeah. right there. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I want to say it, it was either on the packaging. I saw it on the over-the-counter version, or maybe I, I saw it on a pack. I don't know, but I, I saw this somewhere that actually was um, recommending to you know consumers to hey, wear wear like dark-colored clothes out oh, in the public. God. And I was like, I feel like we have we have way too much accepted the fact that there's going to be 
fecal incontinence in the situation and we're it's, just okay with that there's there's not too many instances where i would be okay with fecal incontinence or that anybody there's is very few the only one that i can think of is like the marathoners you know even that you can't stop oh but they do you know i know they do i've they seen do. the oh, i've seen the pictures but you can't stop running marathon for two minutes listen if you're setting records i guess but then you're on espn's cover with I know. I you just know, I actually have a whole situation to, going to see down. A, a picture of a guy today. Um, I don't know that's why that popped up on my feed. Maybe it's because it knew that I was the algorithm. Check, yeah, knows what you want to say. I was looking into um, into weight loss drugs today. But as far as how well it works, um, about thirty five to fifty four percent of patients taking the prescription strength product had um, at least a five percent weight loss after a year. Sixteen to twenty five percent attained at least a ten percent weight loss. So about a um, a quarter to to fifteen um, percent of patients up to a ten percent weight loss, which is not bad, but we'll see that we have some much more effective options yeah. that we're about to talk about. Yeah, I mean, five an average of five percent weight loss after an entire year of therapy, yes. I think, used to get people excited, but right. now it's like a joke compared no. to the newest stuff. It's not great. If you achieve ten percent, good for you. But yeah. um, only one in four, one in five are going to do that. Yeah. So the other kind of old school medication we actually mentioned at least part of one of the drugs already was it was fentermine. Um, so that was one of the ingredients in, in Fenfen. But uh, fentermine and there's also another um, stimulant called uh, fendrometazine that uh, yes. are both stimulants that are, are utilized in the setting of weight loss because they uh, affect, obviously reduce appetite, just like most other stimulants would. Um, it's kind of interesting that I am assuming just because of the abuse risk or whatever, but, um, I always kind of anticipated Vyvanse or something like that being looked at for, for weight loss. Cause they've, they've used Vyvanse as a proof for binge eating, yeah. but not for like overall weight loss, which is probably a good thing. But I mean, um, I guess and, it has potential for abuse in other ways. Fentramine has potential for abuse. Sure. Anything yeah. that's a stimulant probably, right. probably would, but, I guess, uh, I guess you know, with eating disorders and things of that nature, but in, yeah, it's, that's true. That's a good point. But, uh, you know, the, the fentramine by itself, you know, does, does offer a little bit of weight loss, but there's all the cardiovascular risks associated with, you know, increased blood pressure, heart rate, things like that. So you, you do have to be aware of that. Um, and they also have combined it with an extended release formulation of topiramate um, under the brand name Qsimia. And so mechanistically, um, we do know that topiramate uh, also decreases appetite, just like a stimulant would. In fact, that's one of the only anti-epileptics, I think, that I can think of that is, you know, weight loss is, in a, is listed as a side effect versus weight gain, right? There are um, a couple others that at least might be more weight neutral, but yes, a lot of the epilepsy drugs will cause weight gain. And it's uh, one of those things where you have two different mechanisms at play um, being combined into one, and it's it's dosed a little differently as well. Um, so it's, it comes as 3.75, um, 23 milligram combo. You, know, you do that daily for two weeks, and then you'd increase up to the 7.5 um, slash 46 milligrams daily. The issue with this drug, uh, and I, I personally don't, I can't think of anybody that I've actually seen on this but uh you know it's definitely on the market and something that i'm sure some um, some people have, have utilized but the side effect profile is what i feel like would would hinder a lot of people from from using this yeah now granted it's definitely lower doses than a lot of times we see of topiramate plus being extended release maybe it helps a little but every time i see topiramate i always worry about any type of cognitive impairment that may be associated with it um you, you know you think about topamax doses that are higher that it's one in four patients or maybe even higher um, are going to end up having some kind of cognitive issues while taking it. And so this is a lower dose, but still it's the, it's still to pyramid. And so that's something I would be a little bit worried about. Um, plus you have the, the issues with the um, cardiovascular stuff from the fentramine side of things as well. So yeah. definitely, if, if anything, saving this drug for somebody who doesn't have cardiovascular risk and is, uh, you know, has, doesn't have hypertension or you know, if, they, if they do their, well, I wouldn't even say that. Um, if, they, if they don't have cardiovascular risk and uh, no blood pressure issues or anything. And then the other thing to keep in mind, it's a stimulant, so it's going to affect dopamine release. So if a patient has like a history of certain psych disorders, you know, especially like schizophrenia, things like that, probably not a, a good option for those patients either. Right. As far as efficacy goes, it's probably associated with the most consistent weight loss um, um, until we get to the GLP ones and some of the other things we talk about, about 10% or so um, uh, weight loss. Uh, but yes, the side effects are not ideal. Sonogran and Lamictal. 
are other anti-seizure medicines that are associated with um, weight loss as well. Gotcha. And pretty much any others are going to be associated with weight gain. Uh, and the other thing to keep in mind too, one more thing about the Qsimia uh, combo is that if the patient is of childbearing age, make sure that you get a negative pregnancy test before initiating the medication. And then it's there's a REMS program associated with it, and I believe you have to get monthly um, pregnancy tests to to show that there's no risk of fetal toxicity. Yeah. So something else to keep in mind because this is something that obviously could be utilized by patients of you know any any age adult technically. So right. Always remind patients about that. So another option, uh, which is a combination, is bupropion and naltrexone, branded as Contrave. And, um, you know, we've mentioned uh, bupropion before when we talk about uh, depression, major depression and other antidepressants, because most antidepressants are associated with weight gain, and bupropion just happens to be one that's weight neutral, or you could see some weight loss, which is why it's used here. So it's a reuptake inhibitor of dopamine and norepinephrine. And then it's combined with naltrexone, which is, of course, an opioid antagonist. Um, as far as the dosing, it's um, kind of a titration. It's escalated at weekly intervals by one tablet a day. Um, it has 8 milligrams of naltrexone and 90 milligrams of bupropion, which is a bit lower than we usually see for major depression. That's um, usually uh, 150 to 300 milligrams. And then I think the Zyban for smoking cessation is like a hundred milligram tablet or something like that. I think Zyban's one hundred and fifty. It's one hundred fifty. Yeah, I swear there's a hundred milligram. There's there is regular strength bupropion as a hundred milligram. I think tablet. so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it's available in hundred, one hundred and fifty, and then you'll also see it prescribed up to three hundred. And I think I've seen higher too. For Are you talking about contrave or what? Uh, well, oh, well, well, yeah. Talking so the bupropion, um, XL, the four fifty, four fifty milligrams is the is max. The max. Yes. Um, but yeah, a little lower in um, as far as how it's combined in contrary, but it, it, it increases over time. So the target dose is two tablets twice a day. Um, and it's, I think, more well tolerated than the Qsimia, um, nausea, constipation, um, some nonspecific headache and dizziness and stuff like that. But for the most part, it's it's better tolerated. And we, like Cole said, we've, we've kind of associated bupropion with weight loss already, but what I th kind of thought was interesting was the, the choice of combination with this drug. So naltrexone is, you know, is a, the opioid antagonist that we typically only think of in an opioid overdose situation or at least having on standby in case of an overdose. But uh, in this case, it's actually working as a, to, to block a certain negative feedback loop. So I, we've probably mentioned, I know we have mentioned at least during like GLP-1 episodes and stuff like that, where we've talked about the POMC cells or at least the neurons. So pro-opioid melanocortin neurons, um, they're, they're basically found in the um, arcuate nucleus of the hypothalamus. And they are going to produce melanocyte stimulating hormone um, or alpha MSH, you may see it abbreviated as, as well as beta endorphin, which is just an endogenous opioid. So the alpha MSH activates the specific receptor, the um, melanocortin-4 receptor, which is we know will lead to decreased food intake, um, you know, increased energy expenditure, and therefore weight loss. The issue is, and that's from, coming from the bupropion side of things, um, and so beta-endorphin um, will reduce the activity of those palm C cells that are producing that MSA or alpha MSH. And so when they bind um, to a specific thing on those palm C cells called the uh, mu opioid receptor, uh, which I'm pretty sure we're all familiar with at this point, <laughs> but uh, the naltrexone is there to block that piece of it. So it's blocking the uh, mu opioid receptor so that that beta endorphin can't bind, which means that you can't then signal the negative feedback loop to um, that alpha uh, MSH. So that can still continue to increase that energy expenditure and uh, the appetite suppression and things like that. So with bupropion used in like depression, without this, I would expect the weight loss that you'd see to be initial, but not necessarily continued. Right. So they added naltrexone so that they could just continue um, that process. So it wasn't something that uh, they threw in there just to make a new product. It actually had some rhyme or reason. Yes. And that is a very interesting mechanism. Sadly, the uh, efficacy is not all that significant. You might expect on average 5 to 6 percentage of, uh, of weight loss. Yeah. And they did prove in some studies that the, the combo does yes. enhance the, the effects of that POMC signaling more than either of the drugs alone. Right. So that's good. Right. So, yeah, um, contrary, I feel like that's the, definitely the one that uh, I've seen more 
yes. than others. Probably because of its tolerability. Yeah, um, definitely. Versus its efficacy. So I guess I guess the, maybe some things to consider would be like insomnia, some you know, mm-hmm. so, which isn't usually as big of a concern as we once thought. But right. since it's not the extended release necessarily version, it may and you're doing it twice a day, it may potentially. I saw it prescribed pretty regularly, but I'd say more often than not, um, it wasn't affordable. Yeah, it they is. weren't able to get it covered. Definitely, uh, definitely pricey. And, yeah. and I think, especially with the new drugs, you know, out that have a lot better weight loss, I feel like if you're going to, if the insurance company, if I was an insurance company, I'd want to pay for one of those way quicker than I would something like Contra. I don't know how much naltrexone is by itself, but I imagine you could create the combo if you wanted to. Per, you know? I, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't really know of an really, oral naltrexone. Naltrexone. Because they have the, the, the one that's mixed with buprenorphine right. is a abuse deterrent. For, I guess it may not be available. I don't know. That I can think or of. Or maybe they may, they may have, that's maybe how they got the drug like patented. Maybe they came up, this is completely us just, We're making, stuff just up. making stuff up right now. So please don't write any of this down. But uh, I'm wondering if it has to do with like mechanistically making it more bioavailable or, or formulation wise making it more bioavailable or something. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why. Possibly. I don't know. We'll probably look that up later. Yeah. But uh, I like I like you guys to feel like you're learning right along with us <laughs> during, during the episode. You're in our brains. This is this is the the nightmare that it is, but uh, yeah. So pretty unique mechanism though. What do we got next? I guess we're going to move on to some of the heavy hitters, uh, or at least uh, the uh, class of heavy heavy hitters. Um, Actually, well, well, let me jump in real quick then before we do that, and I'll do one other random drug, and then we'll jump in the heavy hitters since a lot of those are all related. Sure. You want to do the. the password before we get into those heavy hitters? We should. And we're actually not quite at halfway, so this is going to throw the people off. We <laughs> yeah, think they, they have our they system. They can't skip the 30 oh, minutes and man. find it. It's at 27 minutes probably. <laughs> um, so, yes, we are going to be doing the password BMI23. We're really milking that 23 thing to <laughs> BMI death. BMI23. But, uh, yes, that you is know, the password. I, I guess I didn't think about that people will be listening to this in 24 and 25. Yeah. But it's, okay. it's when we're releasing it. So yeah. Y'all can get it. You guys get it. Yeah. So yes, BMI23, freece.com. Click on, uh, go to their homeschool page, look at, uh, click on learn and you'll see podcasts and a whole plethora of episodes are available now. whole bunch. All right. So let's talk about one other medication before we jump into our, our uh, GLP ones that we know and love. Um, let's talk about our PCSK. Um, it, it interacts, the medication interacts with PCSK1, which I never even hurt like I was PCSK9 is always I, the one I guess there was eight others but we didn't know anything about we it. didn't know we should have probably assumed that that was the case <laughs> but uh the the drug is called set menlotide um and it's a sub-q injection it's given daily which that that part of it's not great but it's it's interesting because it's actually indicated only for patients who have obesity um that is directly due to um, issue with either the POMC, so, sorry, PCSK1 or leptin receptor deficiencies. So either uh, of those three, and you have to confirm that with genetic testing. So I, 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 after I was kind of reading through that, I'm very curious to see how many patients who have actually gone for like just to, for weight loss. Is this yeah. available? The drug? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I'm like, who actually is checking for and and, um, and now it's got me wondering i'm wondering how expensive it would be to test for those genetic i know factors because i mean that would sure uh shed some light on a situation for people if you know they know that they actually have a pre-de- or genetic predisposition to certain receptors and things being um hypofunctioning or right. whatever so you know i think uh this is definitely one that's kind of interesting uh, the warnings associated with it um it can cause new uh, or worsened depression and even suicidal ideation. So I, I imagine the suicidal ideation is, is kind of along the same lines of, you know, patients who have depression that you're studying in clinical trials where right. you can't definitively say. But it, there have definitely been case reports of new depression, so not without a history of it. Um, and so that's something that uh, definitely be aware of and especially maybe use a little caution uh, in patients who do have a history of depression or uncontrolled depression. But uh, it also has been known to, to cause disturbances in, in sexual arousal and increased skin hyperpigmentation. So it's got some really random side effects. It's very strange. If, yeah. the, it, if the patient does start this medication, again, after you've confirmed genetic testing, because those are the rules, um, you have to discontinue or you should discontinue therapy. If 5% weight loss from the patient's baseline has not been achieved after 12 to 16 weeks. So that part of it's interesting because it is kind of, that's kind of a quick you know, 
result to see that that right. I guess that's where the genetic piece comes in. It's it's important to note actually we we didn't mention this but when are these medications in general indicated? And so they're indicated for obesity, and we said obesity is BMI greater than 30. Uh, but there are instances where it can be indicated in overweight individuals um, uh, who have other comorbidities and haven't achieved a goal weight loss of what is usually 5% over, I'm pretty sure, five to six weeks or at least over a, a relatively short period of time, um, then they could be indicated for, for one of these. Gotcha. So, th- so maybe that's where that five yeah, percent yeah. and the five to six week comes from. Yeah, it is quick. I mean, that's but but if you don't see that drop, then they want you to quit it because it's probably not going to be beneficial yeah. to the patient. Yeah. But it is uh, it's out there, and again, it's it's made for those patients that have that genetic um, deficiency in those receptors. Interesting. Well, we have um, uh, some more commonly, I'd say, prescribed medications. Um, uh, we'll start with what you'll see probably less, um, which is Saxenda liraglutide. Um, it's the the brand that is approved for it's the brand of liraglutide that is approved for obesity. Um, Victoza being the one for depression or for diabetes. For diabetes, Victoza being the one approved for diabetes. So there, it's a GLP one agonist. Um, we'll talk throughout the next few drugs about GLP one, GIP, and that sort of thing. Um, they increase satiety, delay gastric emptying, and that's part of how they're thought to uh, result in weight loss. Initially, it's 0.6 milligrams once a day, increasing by 0.6 milligrams at weekly interval. And the target dose for obesity is 3 milligrams daily, which is higher than the target dose for um, diabetes. Uh, similar to the drug Mike just talked about, daily injections, not really ideal. Um there are some adverse effects of GLP-1s to be aware of in general. Nausea, especially at the beginning, is pretty common. Uh, possible vomiting, uh, possible diarrhea or constipation, and dyspepsia uh, as well. Uh, and then as far as the um, efficacy goes, um, pretty effective compared to most of the other medications we've talked about previously, but definitely not super effective compared to um, semaglutide. Six to seven percent ish on average weight loss that you could expect. Did you mention the dosing too? Being higher, the three, three million. Okay, cool. Yeah. I just want to make sure. Yeah. So yeah, and I think the the issue I feel like with any of the GLP ones, but especially the liraglutide, is is always the GI issues. And I've, at least in my anecdotal experience, I feel like the patients who have have had more issues with um, the GLP one side effects, it's been the the daily. Use. Now, you might get a little bit more like injection site reaction with the once-weekly versions, but right. usually the nausea, constipation, those type of things tends to be a little bit more uh, noticeable in the daily use medications, which may, may, makes sense. As far as discontinuation, that is the biggest reason. Though, um, you know, I mean, for somebody pursuing medical ther- medication therapy for weight loss, they might have fair amount of motivation to push through mm. those sorts of things. So, And any of the GLP ones, whether they're approved for diabetes or weight loss, do carry that box warning for um, medullary thyroid cancer or multiple in, multiple endocrine neoplasia type two, but uh, straight from the, straight from the commercial. I, yeah. I've watched it a lot, but uh, <laughs> now I've, I've had patients look up that, you know, box warning on Google or whatever and, and ask about that or, or bring up, Hey, my family, uh, I think somebody in my family had, you know, thyroid cancer. So the the key point of that is, uh, especially with you know more people seeking these medications out that don't have diabetes now, um, the the box warning is there specifically for medullary thyroid cancer. So of the four you know common types of thyroid cancer, that's the least likely um, diagnosis that someone would get, the least likely type. And so keep that in mind. Um, and it's not, if the patient has other or family history of other types of thyroid cancer, that is not a contraindication. It's just medullary thyroid cancer. Which so. it's pretty rare. I wonder, I wonder if they have found that risk to be still significant in post-market if for anybody who happened to have taken it. Um, cause I, I think it was an animal model. So yeah. They yeah, saw it that issue, right? yeah. So. And I don't, I don't, don't quote me on this, but I don't believe they've seen it actually transpire like in and it might human be populations aware of yeah. the issue and it's just rare enough but maybe yeah. yeah so definitely keep that in mind though but it's not a if somebody is on leave with the rocks and things like that i've had all those quite like i'm on leave yeah. with the rocks and should i not be on this because it yeah. can affect my thyroid no so keep that in mind mechanistically uh all of these drugs are kind of working in the same way cold mentioned the the slowing of gastric motility um you know and you know, just overall digestion 
but they also um, have GLP-1 receptors in the hypothalamus that uh, interact directly with those PALMC cells, PALMC neurons um, that are activated and enhanced during uh, when someone's given a a GLP-1 receptor um, antagonist or agonist, and uh, that is also playing a role in appetite and and uh, you know all of, all of that, um, along with the the slowing of the gastromotility. So those those PALMC neuron firing is a, a, a kind of a, a main target um, of appetite. It seems like, and that's they also interact with leptin and, mm-hmm. and other things. So it's that that whole uh, the PALMC I think cells are very much at the forefront of. A lot of lot to do with weight loss and things, right? But uh, yeah, so in very interesting um, liraglutide. Definitely, pr- I would say probably not. Maybe not definitely, but probably not one you're going to run into nearly as much anymore. Yeah, every day, and it doesn't give you as much weight loss. No thanks. Right, and yeah, it's still just expensive. Yeah, wow. which is weird. So <laughs> why is that? Got to be tough. Got to be tough to be a sex cinder rep these days. <laughs> I'd imagine, right? Yeah, I would. I hope that would be the worst. You get it that assignment. Bad. I know. You're like, hey, like, Dang. hey, you know how all the drugs coming out are way better. <laughs> well, you got to go sell this one. <laughs> that sucks. So, um, we have what you probably will have heard of the most in the news, which is semaglutide. You would hear it references Ozempic, but the actual branded name for uh, that has the FDA indication for weight loss is Wegovy. Um, doesn't really matter which one if you're achieving the appropriate doses of the drug and whatnot. But, of course, is a GLP-1 indicated for the adjunct um, uh, treatment of obesity um, along with diet and exercise um, in patients who are overweight, so a BMI greater than 27, or obese, uh, BMI greater than 30. So it's dosed once a week, which is much better than, um, than uh, Saxenda. And it starts at 0.25 milligrams a week, increases every four weeks. Um, there's 0.5 milligrams, 1 milligram, 1.7, up to 2.4 milligrams. Um, they give some guidance as far as if it's not being effective to stop it. So they say consider stopping it if there's not at least a 5% um, weight loss from their baseline after three months, which is a pretty short period of time, but um, that's how effective it can be. In um, one of the studies, the step one trial, the average weight loss was 15.3 kilograms, um, and over 50% of patients had a 15% um, or more reduction in body weight from baseline over 68 weeks, so about a year and a half or so. Um, it's pretty significant. Yeah, and I think, I mean, when that data came out, I mean, I feel like people were going nuts over that, yeah. which, you know, like, I feel like that's justified. But yeah. 15.3 kilograms, I mean, 30-something yeah. pounds. It's a lot. That's a lot of weight. We, we, yeah. I mean, I remember being, when I saw the step four trial and all those, I was so excited. And yeah. then it was short-lived because soon after we started getting the terzepatide data. We did. Um, and we've talked about terzepatide, I think, when we did our injectable um, diabetes yes. medications uh, episode a while back. But terzepatide is, is not just a GLP-1 receptor agonist, but it's actually a dual receptor agonist. So it covers GLP-1 receptor and GIP. So that's the, like the other incretin um, that we think about when it comes to, uh, uh, you know, managing glucose and things. But uh, the GIP, GLP-1, dual receptor agonist, is, is something that is, uh, I, I was excited to see that they compared directly to semaglutide, which you don't really see too often. So they must have been real confident um, about their, their medication. But we had the surmount one and two trials that were done in patients um, that have diabetes, and they noticed huge weight loss in those studies that were was even more impressive than the Ozempic uh, data. So now they have um, done the surmount three and surmount four studies. So Mount 3 had 806 patients that were obese or overweight, um, and if they were in the overweight category, they had to have one or more weight-related comorbidity. And uh, patients you know, were followed, and uh, the patients um, had an average of um, 21.1% of body weight after 72 weeks from time of randomization compared with an average weight gain of 3.3% among controls. Um, so pretty impressive. Yeah. And uh, the secondary endpoint, get this, secondary, second primary endpoint was the, um, yeah, the second primary endpoint, not the secondary endpoint, I'm going to make sure that's clear, uh, was the percentage of people achieving at least 5% weight loss from the time of randomization. Because remember that, I mean, it was 
it was like 20 something percent. The, the last, this one was 94.4% of patients received, like met that. So we just mentioned the reason for discontinuation with semaglutide is if they don't meet the 5% weight loss after a set period of time, 94% of patients met 5% weight loss, at least if probably a longer period, but yeah. that was, the 5% was with the other drug, right? I was the, talking about with semaglutide. Oh, with right. semaglutide too. Right. So we, uh, Yes. they. I'm saying with semaglutide, they say discontinue mm. if you haven't met 5% weight loss in three months. But with terzepatide... They do say that with semaglutide? Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, I just said it. Oh, I, mean, I wasn't... I knew they said that with the drug. I was talking about oh, the okay. genetic deficiency. I didn't know it was... That was yeah, some, yeah, same, same gotcha. with this. Same okay, with cool. This, uh, same so with that makes sense then. But that many patients meet the 5% weight loss with terzepatide is what I'm saying. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. significant. Yeah, it's huge. No, that's good. It was I, a roundabout way of complimenting terzepatide. Oh, cool. <laughs> I like it too. <laughs> Um, and then uh, the the Surmount 4 trial that they did, actually, I, I thought this was a good kind of unique way of looking at the study, but they um, were testing terzepatide's discontinuation. And so they did a 36-week lead-in period. Um, they had 783 adults, um, again, obesity or overweight plus comorbidities. And um, they, they led to an average uh, weight loss of 21.1% from baseline. It's a, even quicker than we saw in the previous study. And then they randomized 670 patients um, to continue weekly terzepatide for another 52 weeks or to receive placebo injections at that point. So basically them coming off the medication. Um, at the end of one year, um, these those who continued terzepatide had an average additional weight loss of seven or excuse me, six point seven percent. While those who switched to placebo had an average 14.8% weight gain during the 52-week phase. My goodness. So, um, you know, the, the placebo-adjusted weight loss with terzepatide of 21.4% for this phase. So that's still impressive, I guess. I don't know how they calculated it is impressive. that. I think it's notable how much weight was gained when you switched back to placebo. Mm, yeah. Just almost intimating that you need to stay on the drug for a considerable period of time. Well, and I think this is, I think it's a good thing to, or a good time to bring up. I think the, the concern with a lot of clinicians with these is, well, you're just going to gain the weight right back. And you see that sometimes in, you know, in everyday life where patients will lose some weight and, you know, they're all excited about it. But the second they stop the medication, you know, well, and obviously the appetite comes back. So you're going to be increasing your caloric intake most likely. So that the key is going to still be lifestyle right. and you know, education around diet, proper or proper diet or balanced diet, exercise, like those things don't go away. Yeah. I think that's the super important, I guess, takeaway from the GLP ones in general. Is yes, they work extremely well, especially the GLP one uh, GIP, but it's not a replacement right. as much as we would love that for that to be. Um, once a week injection is not going to take away the need to go to the gym and right. eat healthy. It has to go alongside. And there's other benefits you get from exercise, for instance, that you don't get by just taking right. a drug. Well, and, and if hopefully those lifestyle changes have taken place while the drug is cutting your appetite. So it's right. a lot easier to deal with the, the big change in diet. Right. And then once you come off the drug, hopefully those diet changes have stuck. Easier to form um, better habits Mm -hmm. when your cravings aren't as. Yeah. And that's the other thing with those is it does affect. You're probably having more motivation because you're losing the weight. And so it feels like going to the gym is really working and all that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. And a lot easier than the the slow grind of diet and exercise. Just Just exercising. So definitely uh, an impressive. Impressive drug for both, you know, A1C lowering and for weight loss. Very I, impressive. I imagine it'll probably be FDA approved for just standard weight loss. Yeah. Maybe even this year. I don't it know how quickly be. they are going to get that approved, but maybe this year. If not, definitely next year. So that's a good point that it's not yet. So semaglutide is definitely the most commonly prescribed at the moment, mm-hmm. and that's probably for insurance reasons that you could actually weight loss drugs in general are, are a bit challenging to get approved. If you meet all the criteria, you can definitely get them approved. Um, but uh, with with terzepatide being off label at the moment, um, you know, they're probably going to push back on it some. But yeah. once it's approved, which it surely will be, then it should be easier. Yeah. So terzepatide definitely my favorite um, uh, as far as right now. What's what's available? But uh, some more data has has been published on oral semaglutide, mm-hmm. which 
when when you were doing uh, more on the diabetes management side of things, did you ever have much luck uh, seeing people? Do I mean, well I only had rebelsis? one patient on it, and um, it was just because he was like adamantly against injections. Injections. But he, he he didn't see like substantial benefit from it. I, I feel like I've tried the rebelsis in multiple patients, and uh, I, I have just never been able to get people to follow the the directions of administration or anything yeah. like that to actually see some some solid benefit from it. So rebelsis, the oral semaglutide, definitely uh, effective if, you, if taken properly um, for A1C lowering. We didn't really see much weight loss, though, in the clinical studies that first got the drug approved. And typically, you know, we 3, 7, and 21, uh, it's 3, 7, and 14 milligrams of the dosing for oral semaglutide. Well, they have now studied it in higher doses up to 50 milligrams. Um, which, yes, I feel like that. I mean, I had people complaining about throwing up after seven milligrams. And you're like, you're going to give people 50? That sounds terrible. It does. But uh, the Oasis and the Pioneer Plus studies um, were published, and they both used the higher doses. In those studies, they definitely saw a more impressive weight loss than with the original Pioneer studies. Um, and so this is definitely a little bit more, I guess, uh, encourageable um, or encouraging, not encourageable. Um, yeah, not encourageable. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> encouraging. Can't talk. Um, it's more encouraging to see, I guess, the, the weight loss is there, but you, it, it may be just because their stomach is so nauseous they can't eat anything. <laughs> but uh, it, it's the same kind of uh, issue that is still going to arise with the, the um, administration of the drug. It has to be taken first thing in the morning before any food or beverage is consumed. First thing in the morning, empty stomach, and then you have to eat about 30 minutes later. And when you take the medication, you can only have it with up to a max of 120 mLs of water, four ounces. So it's like you have all these like different things you have to monitor. And I've spent, I remember one patient in particular, I always think about it, that I spent like a good bit of time educating on that process. And literally three weeks later, I brought him back to clinic, see how he was able see if he even just started, started the process of adjusting. Zero change. Yeah. And I asked him how he's taking it. He goes, oh, I just take it with all my other meds in the morning. Like just completely like, why? Why wouldn't I do that? I was uh, like, we spent uh, at least 10 minutes <laughs> talking about this last time. Didn't... Oh, Right over seven. Yeah, I mean, they got a lot going on. So adherence is difficult enough in patients with yeah. diabetes, for so instance. Following uh, this with these yeah. higher doses, I'm just not. No. I'm not. I'm not. This one did give me a lot, lot less uh, excitement. This would have been interesting if it came first before the injectables. Right. But then, and then the injectables come and kind of knock it out. But the injectables were here before that came about. Yeah. There is a, just so you guys know, too, there's another oral GLP-1 receptor in the pipeline called, uh, it was a, the phase two study was just published in New England Journal of Medicine uh, on June 23rd of this year. And uh, it's called or, or for Glipron. And uh, it's being looked at right now specifically for uh, adults with obesity. So it's going to be a GLP-1 that's designed specifically for weight loss, not as a afterthought of for a diabetes med. Interesting. But now there uh, might be some market share for that because um, there might be some people apprehensive about the injections for mm -hmm. weight loss. So. Yeah, for sure. I definitely think uh, it'll the semaglu oral semaglutide will be approved at higher doses for weight loss and then this one will um, be approved, I'm sure, within the next couple of years. It is uh, right now doing phase three trials. Um, if you want to check it out, it's called the attain a-t-t-a-i-n-2 trial and it's expected to uh, wrap up sometime in 2025 interesting so we'll see yeah yeah um so we're getting close we've got about 10 minutes left so we'll, we'll kind of go through some of the more um i guess pipeline drugs because there's some, some cool stuff on the i want to mention one thing before yeah, just yeah. To make sure i go time because it. i think it's crazy so previously in a previous weight loss episode we kind of went in depth on the bariatric surgeries and yeah, things. Yeah. so i won't i won't hit that again today but something i don't think we talked about that exists and is fda approved that i had literally never heard about for weight loss um are the devices uh -huh. to come across this a little uh, bit yeah, a little bit okay so one of these is the intragastric balloon system where they take a saline-filled balloon that they place in the stomach and produce, and it basically produces a sensation of satiety, a feeling of fullness, by filling your stomach with a saline-filled balloon. And these aren't for everybody. The indications for each of these is a little bit different. It's usually they need a BMI of 25 to 55, um, uh, and they need to... Uh, kind of probably justify that the medications weren't an option or didn't really work, and most insurances don't cover it. But it's an FDA-approved option. So it can be um, administer, administered um, endoscopically, 
or there's other versions that are just swallowed. Like mm-hmm. you just swallow the balloon and it sits in your stomach for six months and then it's removed. So you actually have to remove it. It's removed. Or, uh, yeah, what, the, what I would see is, yes, the IRC that all three are removed endoscopically in six months. Okay. Because the only one of those I'm like familiar with is that um, Plenity yeah. pill. Because that's, that's like a hydrogel, like yes. something or other. So the hydrogel exists and is a little bit different. Uh, but yeah, the hydrogel is like a twice daily kind of pill that you take. And um, it, uh, it it still takes up room in the stomach. It takes up room in the right? stomach and kind of like inflates the stomach and intestines to increase satiety. And it's not super effective, like 2% better than placebo. But yeah. yes, this is different. It's a literal balloon filled with saline that sits in your stomach just to take up room. If you see the picture Yikes. of it, it's crazy. Like, I, like what? It's nuts. Yeah. Um, Another weird thing is um, a gastric emptying system, which is pretty much exactly what you would think. It's a gastrostomy tube that's put in place to drain a portion of the stomach contents after every meal. That's FDA approved for weight loss. What? I know. Um, that seems like the worst idea. It's, uh, it's got similar indications as far as BMI, and you, uh, of course, don't use it in uh, patients with a history of eating disorders. Um, but it's, it's an aspiration system, um, a gastric emptying aspiration system with a gastrostomy. There's a specific brand called the um, um, uh, uh, Aspire Assist, which I don't think is available in the U.S. anymore. So maybe there's none of these that are available in the U.S., but it's it's a thing that is available. I mean, it requires like a surgery then, right, to get it Sounds placed? Like it. Yeah. Jeez. So this one might not be, none of these might actually be approved in the U.S. anymore, but they are available in that, places. That's crazy. It's crazy. Don't sign me up for that one. No. I'll, I'll, I don't want a balloon in my stomach. No. Anyways, I, just, yeah, that's, I, thought, no, I thought it was super interesting. For sure. So no, that's good. Um, so we'll so to finish up, we'll touch on some of the drugs in the pipeline and, um, glucagon, you know, we've talked about glucagon as kind of being the, the opposite of insulin as far as its physiologic purpose and all that. Um, glucagon receptors are going to be a target, um, of interest, uh, in the very not, it's been a target of interest, but for those of you who aren't in the, uh, aren't looking at some of the stuff in pipelines and, and whatnot, this is probably going to be a new concept, but, um, glucagon receptors, uh, activity is definitely something that is, is important for, um, weight regulation as well as, is glucose control and all that. Uh, this is, I'm actually going to give you a little bit of history thing real quick, cause this is normally Cole's thing, but I came across this myself and I was like, ha ha, I've impressed. never had a history moment before. I'm uh, but when they were dis- when they first discovered glucagon, uh, they they actually saw it as what they called a, a toxic fraction um, that was in the early like preparations of insulin, and they so they thought it was just some kind of weird uh, impurity. And it, when they injected somebody with the insulin that had that impurity, their blood their blood glucose just shot up, and some patients even passed away from it. My gosh! And so they ended up calling that impurity. Um, a glucose agonist, and so they took the GLUC from glucose and the AGON from agonist, and put them together for glucagon. Very, Very clever. Yes, I told Cole before we started recording. I'm like, you could leave me alone for a hundred years, and there's no way I'm coming up with something that simple, as far as the name. But uh, glucagon is definitely some an area where they're interested in, as far as a target um, of for therapy. And lo and behold, they have a new drug in the pipeline that is a triple agonist triple so we they just have, gotta one-up everybody they, they do lily's on fire with these uh these weight loss trucks so we have glp1 gip and then this this new agent called uh uh ritertritide um ritatritride, that's how you say it um is also uh working on um the glucagon receptor so it targets glp1 glucagon and gip all three of those and it has new weight loss uh, record, I think is, is a safe way of saying that. It's got uh, even better weight loss than we saw with terzepatide, which is pretty crazy because we were just saying, like, I don't know how much better it could get after semaglutide. And then terzepatide, we're like, I don't know how much better it can get. Boom. Here this, we drug, go. this drug seems to be better already. It's a wild ride. But uh, they are... Um, they looked at it in patients who were overweight or um, obese and, and with type 2 diabetes, and uh, they, they saw pretty substantial um, weight losses, around 25% or more. Wow. Um, yeah, from baseline. It's crazy. A fourth of their body weight. Now, what was tricepatite again? It was in the— 21. 21, okay. So it's still—I mean, it's still high. Um, and this is— I mean, considering some of the other drugs have a 4 to 5% weight loss on their own, 
And then the difference between terzepatide and this new one is 4%. I mean, it's impressive. Mm -hmm. um, so get this, the patients, um, and I, so overall looking at just all this, it was 17% uh, reduction from baseline at 36 weeks. And that was including everybody with different baselines and things like that. And uh, they also reduced A1C and all that good stuff. But um, the, where was my, I just lost my place. Oh, the patients who um, did receive the higher dose, which is the 12 milligrams, um, 83 percent of the patients taking the 12 milligram dose lost at least um yeah 83 percent lost at least 15 percent of their body weight wow 83 percent and we were just getting excited about 25 percent of five to reach how five much would i weigh if i lost 15 percent oh that's, dude, that's a be, lot of weight yeah you would you'd probably be disappear yeah you're just getting bones it's crazy i don't think you, you you could do that healthy at all no, <laughs> But uh, yeah, so it's is definitely going to be a potential huge game changer for uh, weight loss and for diabetes. I was going to say, so we're talking about weight loss, but are they looking at it for diabetes? Mm -hmm. Is that the primary indication yeah. they're going for? Yeah. So, kind of interesting. Probably going to be in that nice Lily pen device too. I know. Can't go wrong with that pen device. No. It's so useful. <laughs> I know. But uh, yeah, so it's, there's a really good um, article on uh, Medscape. Um, by uh, Dr. Zoller, Mitchell Zoller. Uh, it's called Triple Agonist uh, Retetrotide Hits New Weight Loss Highs. So check that out. It was just published in June. Or are they weight loss lows? Mm. No, they're weight lows, but weight loss highs. I don't, yeah. Oh, now I'm confused. <laughs> um, but yes, check that out. The uh, The phase two data was published in New England Journal of Medicine in June of this year as well. So uh, definitely keep an eye on that one because I feel like all of us are going to need to be real familiar with that pretty soon. Weight loss is a very interesting place to be right mm -hmm. now. There's a lot you can do. Um, I mean, that, that basically set up a whole clinic related to weight loss. I know. And people do. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Should. Uh, the other one is in phase two. Uh, ser servodutide is another one in phase two studies right now for weight loss, but it's a GLP-1 glucagon receptor agonist. So it's only uh, two. They, they, skip the they GIP. totally were like, GIP, nah. We what don't are they time. doing? Crazy. But uh, hey, Bob, switch to my um, computer screen real quick. I just wanted to point out this the gentleman that wrote, uh, was involved in the study. He's, I'm like, they couldn't have got a better picture for this, this poor guy. This guy is like such a, he's like one of the leading uh, scientists in this thing. That's the picture they went with for him. Why are we blasting him on? No, no, he, he's, he's done great work. I'm like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's disrespectful to put this picture of him yeah. where he's like caught and he's not even Surely that at, wasn't the one he sent. No, he's like, like he's, they just got that off Google and they I, posted it. I've done it. articles and stuff and, and they're like, hey, you can send me a picture or I'll just pull one off of LinkedIn. And I'm like, yeah, just pull it off of LinkedIn. And, uh, <laughs> and that's probably what happened here it's exactly well this poor guy's like he's talking to thing. someone not even in this not even taking the right. picture they just took a picture they just of him. cropped his head right out of yeah, it that's good. like oh god that's off of facebook i said why did y'all do him like that he's like a, a bleeding professor <laughs> uh anyways i thought that was funny if that yeah, happened to me i would laugh so i don't mean that yes I'm i don't sure. mean that ill will towards him i'm sure he's laughing yeah he may maybe he's the maybe have a huge sense of humor <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I thought that was funny. But anyways, um, another drug in the pipeline. I, that one, at least the, the phase two study looks, you know, like it's going to have some good weight loss, but it, it is, uh, it'll be interesting to see it's where it falls in therapy or its place in therapy with, you know, its competitors. But, uh, yeah, so lots of cool stuff there. Um, there's the last one I'll mention is they are looking at potentially taking T3, like synthetic T3. Um, so like lyothyronine that we would use, uh, or in, if you haven't seen our hypothyroidism episode, check that out. But it, uh, in the past, they've considered looking at that for weight loss. And um, we know that when thyroid levels are normalized, that uh, patients oftentimes will have their weight, you know, better controlled and things as well. But the issue is with giving synthetic T3 as a weight loss option, you still have all the cardiovascular risks potentially there. So they uh, have apparently taken it and attached it to glucagon so that it only goes to areas. It brings the, th the T3 with it to the areas where those glucagon receptors are so that the T3 can act in those areas specifically without mm. causing the cardiovascular issues and toxicities right. and stuff. So I, I don't know. I, the, I don't know much about that one. I just very quickly glanced through it, but I thought that was an interesting mechanism. Yeah. They're getting very creative. Yeah, they are. So lots and lots of cool stuff on the horizon. Um, there's several others that we won't even mention, but uh, just for time's sake, but definitely encourage you to check those out if, uh, if this is an area of interest because there's a lot of stuff coming out in the next couple of years. Yeah, yeah. 
But um, anyways, I think we're out of time, so we'll wrap it up. Uh, I hope that was helpful for all of you. And uh, if you do have a free CE uh, membership that's unlimited or uh, the gold platinum membership, then check out this episode on their platform so you can get your one hour of, of continuing education credit. And for those of you who want more um, review style uh, pharmacotherapy like lectures, check out patreon.com slash core consult rx and uh they have patreon has all kinds of different powerpoint slides and uh, lectures on there that you can go through and uh it's pretty cheap so check that out and it supports the show and uh if you have any questions for cole or myself make sure you send us an email you can text us on the the phone number in the show notes or you can reach us on any of the social media platforms and until then we'll see you guys on the next episode have a good night